Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain JG Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 12 of the book of Luke, verse 37, and let's get into it. Now, last time Jesus talks to us concerning that worrying is futile and trusting God is paramount, and that we should be in expectation and waiting for the return of our Master. So let's continue our discussion on being ready for when Jesus comes back. Now, I'm not going to reread this section since we did read it last time, but I do encourage you to reread this section. But I want to continue with our commentary with verse 37, where we have the man comes back from the wedding, and his servants are eagerly watching for him, ready to swing into action at his command. And he's so pleased with their watchful attitude that he turns the tables, as it were. He girds himself with a servant's apron, he seats them at the table, and he serves them a meal. Now this is a very touching suggestion that he who once came into this world in the form of a bond slave will graciously condescend to serve his people again in their heavenly home. And many have regarded this verse as the greatest promise in all of God's word. And we see in verses 39 to 40, the Lord changes the picture by alluding to a homeowner whose house was broken into in an unguarded moment. The coming of the thief was entirely unexpected. If the master of the house had known, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. The lesson is that the time of Christ's coming is uncertain. No one knows the day or the hour when he will appear. When he does come, those believers who have laid up treasures on earth will lose them all. Because as the saying goes, a Christian either leaves his wealth or goes to it. If we are really watching for Christ's return, we will sell all that we have and will lay up treasures in heaven where there will be no thief to get to them. The image changes to one of burglary. Jesus seems to be using a recent incident known to his audience. It is unusual, but not impossible for an evil character, such as a thief, to represent a good person. It is the story as a whole, not the individual characters in it, that provide the comparison here. The focal point is the concluding exhortation to be ready because the time of the Son of Man's coming is unknown. So now we move on to the faithful and the unfaithful servants here in verses 41 to 44. And at this point, Peter asks of Christ's parable on watchfulness, if that was intended for the disciples or for all people. And Jesus answers that it was for all who profess to be stewards of God. The faithful and the wise steward is the one who is set over the master's household and who gives food to his people. The steward's main responsibility here concerns people, not material things. And this is in keeping with the entire context warning, a context warning the disciples against materialism and covenantedness. It is the people who are important, not the things. When the Lord comes and finds his bond slave taking a genuine interest in the spiritual welfare of men and women, 
he will reward him literally. The reward probably has to do with governmental rule with Christ during the millennium. And we can refer to 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. But Peter responds in, in his accustomed role as a spokesman for the apostles with a question about the extent of their responsibility. Jesus answers as often with a counter question. And although he says elsewhere that <clears throat> exhortations to watch apply to everyone, in this case, the parable that follows shows that the apostles have a special responsibility. Jesus emphasizes the importance of faithfulness in doing the will of the master, especially for one who has others that are placed under his leadership. The servant professes to be working for Christ here in verses 45 and 46. He's an unbeliever. Instead of feeding the people of God, he abuses them, he robs them, and he leaves them in self-indulgence. Now, this may be a reference to the Pharisees, but these verses clearly imply that Jesus himself would not return immediately, but that there would be an interval of waiting and serving. The attitude of the manager in verse 45 is contrary to that commanded in verse 40, for he stops expecting the master's return and begins beating the servants under his care, which warns against false leaders who ravage the congregation. Now, cut in pieces probably refers metaphorically to the persons being cut off from the sons of light and going to a place where unbelievers end up. The coming of the Lord will expose his unreality and he'll be punished with all the other unbelievers. So the expression cut him in two can also be translated as severely scourge him. Now with verses 47 and 48, they set forth a fundamental principle in regard to all service. The principle is that the greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. For believers, it means that there will be degrees of reward in heaven. For unbelievers, it means that there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Those who have come to know God's will as it is revealed in the scriptures are under greater responsibility to obey it. Much has been given to them and much will be required of them. Those who have not been so highly privileged will also be punished for their misdeeds, but their punishment will be less severe. And Jesus concludes this section by explaining God's principle of judgment. The servants here represent those who sin willingly and knowingly, and those who sin unwittingly. In both cases, there is some definite personal responsibility, and therefore judgment, because the servant should have made it his business to know his master's will. All have some knowledge of God, and God judges according to individual levels of responsibility. The closing statement in verse 48 would apply especially to the apostles and church leaders throughout the centuries. And Jesus' thoughts pass from heaven to the glorious day of his second coming. And he warns that he may come back to a sleeping world in the dead of the night. Blessed are the faithful who are ready to welcome the returning Lord. 
This parable is meant for every Christian, but degrees in talent and position entail corresponding degrees in responsibility. Fearful is the warning here for faithless pastors. So now we arrive at the effect of Christ's first advent. Christ brings division. We'll have division over Jesus. And to start us off here with verse 49, the Lord Jesus knew that his coming to the earth would not bring peace at the outset. First, it must cause division, strife, persecution, and bloodshed. He did not come with the avowed purpose of casting this kind of fire on the earth, but that was the result or the effect of his coming. Although afflictions and dissensions broke out during his earthly ministry, it was not until the cross that the heart of man was truly exposed. The Lord knew that all this must take place, and he was willing that the fire persecution should burst forth as soon as necessary against himself. The previous section leads into this paragraph about the personal crisis Christ precipitates. It is difficult to determine the precise meaning of fire in verse 49 because the word can signify either judgment or purification. The immediate context suggests judgment. While Jesus came to bring salvation rather than judgment, his coming also meant judgment. But it may also signify this purification. He had baptism to be baptized with here in verse 50. And this refers to his baptism to the point of death on Calvary. He was under tremendous constraint to go to the cross to accomplish redemption for the lost mankind. The shame, the suffering, and death were the Father's will for him. And he was anxious to obey. And John the Baptist promised that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And since chapter 316 links fire with the Holy Spirit, it is possible that this fire was to be kindled by the baptism of the Spirit, something that could only occur after his own baptism of death. In verses 51 and 53, he knew very well that his coming would not give peace on earth at that time. And so he warned the disciples that when men came to him, their families would persecute them and drive them out. The introduction of Christianity into an average home of five would split the family. It is a curious mark of man's perverted nature that ungodly relatives would often rather have their son a drunkard and a dissolute person than have him take a public stand as the disciple of Christ. This paragraph discovers the theory that Jesus came to unite all humanity, godly and ungodly, into a single universal brotherhood of man. Rather, he divided them as they have never been divided before. Although the Messiah was to bring peace, this was not his only mission nor in the political sense, his immediate one. Isaiah chapter 11, the first nine verses, shows that even in the final period of peace, the Messiah, who is enabled by the Spirit, will exercise judgment. Already in his earthly ministry, there is a division. 
And the expression from now on stresses the element of crisis, both immediately and at the Lord's return. But during this time, his disciples must be prepared for a break in their family relationships if others do not concur with the decision to follow Christ. And the wording of verse 53 probably comes from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. So now we have verses 54 and 56 to discern the time, to interpret the times. And the previous verses were addressed to the disciples. And now Jesus will turn from his disciples to the crowd with a message on the element of crisis. The words interpret this present time imply a crisis by comparing the observation of changing weather with God's time of opportunity and responsibility. The word hypocrites shows that the people Jesus was speaking to were not sincere in their professed inability to interpret this present time. Jesus reminds them of their skill in predicting the weather. They knew that when they saw a cloud to the west over the Mediterranean, they were probably in for a shower. On the other hand, a south wind would bring a scorching heat and drought. The people had the intelligence to know this, but there was more than intelligence. There was the will to know. In verse 56, we have make peace with your adversary. In spiritual matters, it was a different story. Though they had normal human intelligence, they didn't realize the important time which had arrived in human history. And that was the Son of God had come to this earth, and he was standing in their very midst. Heaven had never come so near before, but they did not know the time of their visitation. They had the intellectual capacity to know, but they did not have the will to know, and so now they were self-deluded. And Jesus now appeals to human judgment regarding a time of personal decisions here in verses 57 to 59. In human affairs, one resolves a crisis situation wisely to avoid penalty. If they realized the significance of the day in which they lived, they'd be in a hurry to make peace with their adversary. We have four legal terms that are used. We have adversary, magistrate, we have judge and officer, and they all may refer to God. At that time, God was walking in and out among them, pleading with them, giving them an opportunity to be saved. They should repent and put their faith in him. If they refused, they would have to stand before God as their judge. The case would be sure to go against them, of course. They would be found guilty and condemned for their unbelief. They'd be thrown into prison, and that is eternal punishment. And they wouldn't come out till they had paid the very last might, which means that they would never come out because they would never be able to pay such a tremendous debt. So Jesus was saying that they should discern the time in which they lived. Then they should get right with God by repenting of their sins and committing themselves to him in full surrender. Now, this is a secular illustration, and verse 59 should be applied only in its basic application of reconciliation with God before the day of judgment. And lastly, although Jesus came to bring peace, 
He knew that he would also create division between those who decided to follow him and those who refused to acknowledge him. He urged the crowd to grasp the urgency of the present time, to make a personal decision to do what is right, to be reconciled to God on his terms before it's too late. Anything less would be spiritual stupidity. And with that, we will close for today. We have finished up chapter 12. And next time, we shall begin to unpack chapter 13 with the importance of repentance. So until that time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.